This podcast is brought to you by Gundog Outdoors and Dakota 283 Kennels. To save you 10% at Gundog Outdoors, head over to Gundog Outdoors at gundogoutdoors.com and use code RINGNECKS to save you 10%. To save yourself 10% on Dakota 283 Kennels and their other products, head over to dakota283.com and use code RNR10, that's RNR10, to save yourself 10%. Hi, hunters. Thank you for tuning into the Flushem and Dustin podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler, the boys from Ringnecks and Retrievers. In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushem and Dustin. Welcome back, hunters, to another Flushman Dustin podcast. Tonight we have Dan Darren Bulo here. He's the hunting and fishing comedian. So, Dan, normally we start off with you kind of give us an introduction of yourself, but I think it's only appropriate tonight that you give us a joke since you're a comedian. Let's start with a joke. So, <laughs> I'm from Iowa originally, and I've been living in Wyoming for over 30 years. And people from Iowa always ask me, what is different about Wyoming than Iowa? And I say, it's windy. And they go, it's windy. And they said, well, we get 25% of all of our electricity from wind in Iowa. It's windy here. I said, no, you don't understand. I said, Wyoming is the only place that gets white caps on mud puddles and outhouses. And don't ask me how I know about that second. <laughs> they still have outhouses in Wyoming? <laughs> Are they, they that far behind the times out there or what? No, uh, literally, I went, to a, I, I went to a lake one day. And it was just roaring. And I'm looking at this mud puddle and it's caping, right? The white caps are on and this mud puddle's just roaring. And there's this old rickety outhouse. And I go in there and I sit down. It's got a crack in the back and something splashes up and hits me because the wind's blowing it. That's how that joke got started. (laughs) So, and and it is, it's, it's a totally different, place when i say it's windy i live in one of the windiest places in the united states out on on outside of the tops of mountains i live in one of the windiest places in the united states so and it can make shooting birds very interesting so you just just point your gun east that's all you have to do and pull the trigger because they're going east So, Darren, why don't you give us a little bit of a background? You know, you said you're from Iowa. Now you live in Wyoming. Um, what brought that adventure on your life? Why'd you move out there? Um, and just kind of give us a little background. So I grew up in a little town called Sinansker, Iowa. And from the, I've been hunting and fishing my entire life. I don't remember not ever doing it. I think I caught my first bass at, at probably 18 months. And uh, it, when I was five years old, I got a pellet gun and I killed so many gophers with it that you can't believe. And then by the time I was 10, I'd shot my first pheasant behind a, um, behind a dog and I was just addicted to it. And it was, it's, it, it's a lifestyle with me and my father and our family. It's just what we did. We were always hunting and fishing. Yep. And then what eventually Thank happened you, is- I appreciate a little bit of that. So, and I grew up that Sinanica is right next to the Cedar River. So it has wonderful smallmouth fishing, awesome smallmouth fishing. 
And then the other thing is my dad farmed and we knew all the farmers. So we always had a place to go hunting. And then when I was 16 years old, I got, I originally was hunting with, I had a mutt that I hunted with. And when I was 16, I got a German short hair pointer and I've had five throughout my life. So, and then eventually I went off to college. I went to college in Esterville and then I transferred to University of Wyoming and I took I got on the fourth floor of the biology building at the University of Wyoming and I looked out and I could see the mountains, the snowy range. And it's the most spectacular thing you've ever seen. And I said to the guy that was with me, I'm going here. I'm never leaving here. And I've been here for 35 years. So, and one of the cool things is in Iowa, wherever I go, wherever you go in Iowa, you guys, I hear you guys talking about public land and how it can be crowded and running into people. Here, everybody big game hunts that are hunting moose and elk and, and antelope and mule deer and, and whitetails. So they're always doing that. So typically when I go hunting for um, any of the grouse species, I am the only one there. I have it all to myself. There's no one around. Hey, you can't beat so, that. No. So what is, what is grouse hunting and stuff like out in Wyoming? Give us a rundown of that. It's, you can hunt for sage grouse, blue grouse, um, sharp tails, and then we hunt for, I hunt for chuckers and huns, but sage grouse is my favorite because they're a big bird. A small young of the year bird is the size of a pheasant, right? And a big male, I shot one that's at the, at the taxidermist that was right at seven and three quarter pounds. It was huge. Oh, shit, it's, that is a big bird. It's, it's head its head was, I mean, they, they don't have long tail feathers like, like a pheasant does, but with a, this big male, it was the entire length of my leg. Huge. Jesus. So That's when crazy. you shoot them, um, and, and the other thing is, I always tell people that they were like, don't hot spot and don't tell them where you're going. Well, the area that I hunt is about the size of Connecticut. So, in, so unless you say Connecticut, I can't tell you to hunt in Connecticut. It's that big. It's, oh, wow. it's miles by miles. It's 20, it, I always tell people it's 22 miles straight south of my house. <laughs> if you want to go look it up, you can, but I literally hunt an area that's my core area that I hunt for sage grouse is probably 10 square miles, but it's actually 45 or 50 miles by 50 miles. So it's huge. Oh, and Jesus. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's really nobody there's no competition so that part's not, nice in, a, in an area that big uh, there wouldn't be much competition no hmm. and well, usually we we see as many we see as I many interrupt this, i interrupt this program i need another joke <laughs> you need another joke <laughs> so i do everything outdoors not just hunt and fish I do all kinds of things. I'm a bird watcher. And here's another Iowa reference, right? When you watch birds in Iowa, all you do is you put up binoculars and you go, there's the bird, right? That's not how you watch birds in Wyoming. What you do in Wyoming is you go, look, there's an eagle. Well, the thing about it is, is there's three kinds of eagles in Wyoming, right? And I've seen this happen. There's golden eagles, there's bald eagles, and there's 1984 AMC Eagles flipping across the road because it's so windy. That's how windy it is in Wyoming. 
And it's windy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Thank you, sir. I have, a, I have a joke for you. Sure. Doesn't really have anything to do with hunting or fishing, for that matter. But uh, uh, why does Santa Claus have free gardens? Why? So we can ho, ho, ho. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, that's funny. <clears throat> what did the fish say when it ran into the wall? What? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Nick Sorry, over got, here with the jokes. Got off track. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So you you grew up hunting with GSPs, is that right? Yep. So GSPs. what what drew you to the GSP? So you started with a, a mutt, basically, mutt. and then what drew you to a GSP? My father immigrated to the United States in 1949 from Denmark. And we have pictures of his German short. He had German short hairs starting at about age 12 in Denmark. And I have wow. pictures of all those old short hairs. And he moved here when he was 27. And then, um, so we were a short hair family. It was, it was going to happen. So, man, that's and crazy. He, Do you have the, uh, did you by chance get a German short hair from the bloodline that he had or? No, I connect with that. Nope. It's, we weren't going to wait that long. We just, we found a good breeder in Iowa. I've had, um, I've had two short hairs from Iowa and then I've had three from Wyoming. So one of them, there was a, there was used to be a kennel in Iowa. It's now closed, but I got it out of, um, it's down by Red Oak and I got a, I got a dog out of there that was German short hair pointer. Cause there used to be a big, there was a hunt club down there and they had a breeding program and that dog was phenomenal. Yeah. So, so you just have one now then Darren? Just, I'm, just, I'm down to one okay. and he's, I'll just tell you this. I'm going to admit it. So I had this bright idea that I would get a rescue. That's not always the best thing. <laughs> he had every bad habit that there is. So I had to spend a lot of time correcting and I'm very kind of, I shouldn't say that I'm particular, but I like to have my short hair. If he's out 300 yards and he's locked on point, I want to be able to walk all the way to him. Yep. 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 Especially so, hunting out in Wyoming, that big country. I mean, you're running miles on miles, right? Yep. So, you need to get yourself a horse. Catch up no, <laughs> that's like having a boat. You talk about something that sucks in more money. Yeah. yeah my my grandpa used to call the call horses hay burners that's all they're good for eating hay yep I mean, ain't good for nothing else anymore but 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 sage grouse is my favorite because it is it, it and if you guys ever want to come out i mean i can take it i don't have a i literally tell people all the time exactly where to go because it's no like i said there's nobody there if i'm hunting 10 square miles there's no reason that you know if i invite I've usually have a, a two or three people that come out every year and we hunt with, and then other people that have hunt with years past come and like, you just don't run into anybody. Yeah. What's, what's the typical day like for you? Say dress hunting, like what's your limit? Um, I don't even, I don't even know any of that out there. Limit is two. Okay. It used to be three. Um, and I'm not, so the sage grouse decline is real. Um, I'm not seeing as many as I saw um, 20 years ago. I've been, well, actually I've been hunting here for almost, almost 30 years. Right. And I've seen the numbers go, but you still find them, but 
part of it is you you have to be able to cover ground and when i say cover ground so my dogs run it's nothing if i can see my dog i typically don't want them out past 400 but it's easy to be it's easy to be at 150 easy and that you you just kind of go where they go you try to get into the and people always my dad always used to be well always work into the wind well the problem is there the country's so big you eventually got to get back to the truck so no matter what direction so you just let the dog run and whatever direction he goes you just follow so and that's crazy is, they would say trust the dog yep is the so is the grass that you hunt i mean obviously him being out that far is it like shin high or uh, it's a it's sagebrush and most of the time it's maybe shin high okay um, a lot of times what amazes people is sage grouse can be in stuff that's ankle high and you will never see them they blend in so quick and they'll they might be walking in front of you and when they stop they suck down to the ground and when they do you can't see they'll be three feet away you're, you're looking around and the dog's on point and i mean there's there's little bushes that are about the size of a shoebox and you're looking around and you see nothing because they and you tap the dog and release him and there may be 20 birds that come up at one time oh wow and so sometimes that can be um that can make it harder because there's there are times that they group up where you'll get a you know two or three clutches so there's times that you might get 20 birds all at once but you may have to walk all morning to find those 20 birds or I've had days that I got out of the truck. I went 50 yards. The dog went on point. I shot a double. I'm done. You know, two minutes. But you got to consider the air. I mean, normally we're done by noon. So we're getting there I, at first light, you know, so we're getting there um, half an hour before sunrise. So we're there at 530 or six in the morning. And then you start, or typically it opens around 6.30 at that time. And then maybe done by noon, one o'clock. So, wow. Also not a bad day then, but uh, a lot of walking goes into that. So there, there is. So, <laughs> huh. it's, so do you have a GPS tracker in your dogs then to see if they're out three, 400 yards? Yeah. Normally what happens is, is um, I've got a GPS tracker that I, that I use. But what I tend to do is if they get so far out, all I use is my, all I use is the vibrate. I just tap the vibrate and get them to come back. That's the recall button. So yeah. I'll get them out that far. And if I can see, if I see them going over the crest of a little hill and I can't see them, I just call them back. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But most of the time, and a lot of times the older they get, um, the one I've got now is eight years old. They, they just come check in. So they may go out two, 300 yards and make a big swath and then they come check in and then they make another big swath and then they come check in. Yep. So it's crazy how the dogs kind of teach themselves like, Hey, I mean, even decent, he's getting older, so he's not, he's a lab, but I would say he's a rangier lab, but he even went down, he'll check in more than what I think he used to. Anyway, he used to just kind of hunt for himself almost. But now he's like, Oh, okay. I'm hunting for you now. Type of deal so so what got you into doing we'll switch gears a little bit what got you into being a comedian so i've always been the guy that told the funny stories 
but what eventually happens is you're watching some comedian. We would, we would every once in a while, they get comedians to come here in town and you say to yourself, I'm funnier than that guy. Right. <laughs> but, but you're not right. That sounds I, like I've, Nick. Sounds like Nick. <laughs> I, I've, I've had people say this a lot. They're like, I could do what you do. We'll go do it. And the first time that there's that awkward pause and no one laughs and you're sweating and you're turning red and people are standing there staring at you. That's not a good thing. And I've seen, I've seen comedians, people who say, Oh yeah, I'm going to be a comedian. And then they, it, it, ta- it, it takes repetition to get to where I'm at. So, and that, that's, that's all it really is. It's just, it's time, stage time, stage time, yeah. show after show oh, after show. How long have you been doing it? So here I tell people I've been a comedian for 10 years, but the truth is the first six years, I spent way too much time hunting and fishing. I did. And so like four years ago, my wife says, you either got to stop talking about being a comedian or, or go be a comedian. You, 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 you have one year and I will not listen to you after that. So it, <laughs> She said, I'm not going to, and it wasn't that, I mean, I may perform six, eight times in the, you know, in the first six years. So I was performing and I would do shows and, and I would do emceeing at, at nonprofit events and stuff. And then when she said that to me, I'm like, oh, okay. So then I went out and I started booking shows because she gave me an ultimatum and she was, so I started booking shows and luckily I got pretty decent at it within that first year. And then my hometown called somebody from my hometown called a Sinansker and they said, well, um, we want you to come be an act at, a, at our opening of our community center. I'm like, no, I, I don't want to do this. I tried to get out of it. I'm like, because if I'm the guy that, cause they'd seen YouTube clips of me and they'd seen write-ups about me but if i go back to my hometown of a thousand and i bomb i'm gonna be that guy that said he was a comedian so that was the most nervous i've ever been in my life and luckily i walked out on stage and i had a headset mic and it was tucked into my tucked into my and it didn't work and I'm like, oh, this is not a good way. And I'm pulling it through the back of my thing and my belly showing. And this is what I said. I said, that's not what you wanted to see, my fat belly. And everybody stopped, started laughing. And from there on out, it was fine. They laughed at everything that I did. So oh, that's funny. So and it's kind of after that, I just started doing more and more shows until um, and then two years ago. I may have to, my short hair is widening. Can you hear him in the background? That's fine. So um, then about two years ago, I wasn't, we, I wasn't getting enough shows, right? I just wasn't. So I had met a guy who I used to work with and met a guy who I used to work with at an open mic. And I said, Hey, I got this idea. I think I know what I'm going to do. I said, we're going to go do shows for nonprofits. And he kind of looked at me skeptically, like, you're going to do what? I said, yeah, I, I'll just go book a shows for nonprofits. And he thought, well, yeah, he, he thought I was crazy. And we worked with another comedian at that time, too. And he ended up, he's in Denver. He's a comedian down there now. And so we um, ended up, we ended up um, 
I started calling and nobody wanted to fuck us. No one, not a single person. I, it took 250 phone calls to convince the first person to let us do a show. And Damn, we were going to do resilience. Yes. Is and I just would not stop. And I just kept calling. And some people I called four or five, six times. They wouldn't return my calls. And I got one booked. And as soon as I got one booked, and the first one we did for, I said, we'll just give it away. And so we did it. We did it for free. And then the second one was easier to book. And the third one was easier to book. And now it's fairly easy to book. And now I get paid a lot more money than the free shows. So yeah. So is that your full-time job then, Darren? Not yet. Um, uh, so I hope this is what I said a year ago before COVID is we're, I'm booking enough shows that I hope that by the end of the year, I'll be able to quit my job because I'm, I, I mean, we're, I'm making enough money doing it and I'll be making more money than I make at my job. It's just that, we had built this momentum before COVID and then once COVID happened, everything stopped. We, uh, we were working, me and my partner and another guy were working every single weekend. We were booked and booked and booked and people were calling us out of the blue to book us. And we're like, it was just, it was a steamroller. Yep. And then COVID happened and everything stopped. Yeah, so. It's kind of like, you just got to get that momentum going, uh, build up that, that database kind of type deal. And then, you know, word kind of gets around and bam, just starts growing. So, so Darren, let's, let's just pretend that Nick and I are a crowd, right? Give us, give us a taste. Give us a taste of what you got. Want a taste? Well, you can give us a whole show if you want, but <laughs> well, I'm telling you, so I want I, people, I, I want people to hear it so we can get some bookings out of this. So I'll just, we'll start with this. You've heard of crazy cat people, right? Everybody knows what crazy cat people are. Well, I am a crazy dog person. I am. I can tell you the exact moment that I'm a crazy dog person. And you guys having honey dogs will understand this. I was in college and I was engaged. And I was talking about my German short hair pointer, as I do a lot, because I'm a hunting dog guy. And my fiance looks at me and says, you love that dog more than you love me, don't you? Yeah, it was that quiet. I, I was supposed to say something. <laughs> I was. And the following things went through my mind. First thing was, this is the, this is the best hunting dog in the entire county. Mm, not so much so for my fiance. Nope, nope. She would make, she's not the best fiance in the entire county. She would maybe break the top 50%, but she was never going to be the best fiance in the entire county. And then I started to think to myself, this is a once in a lifetime dog. Not so much so for my fiance. No, no, I, I could do better, right? I know it. And then I, Kept more things just kept popping in my mind. Then I thought, my dog is very beautiful and graceful. Not so much so for my fiance. No. She had a weird nose and was a klutz. Oh. Then I thought, 
my dog is highly intelligent. Not so much so for my fiance. No, she got a 13 on her ACTs. I don't know if you know how low that is, but technically if my dog could have taken the ACTs and randomly picked A, B, C, or D, my dog would have got a 14. So my dog was smarter than my fiance. But the kicker was no matter how many times I told her to go retrieve that duck out of the lake, do you think she would? No way. And just like sometimes you throw your hunting dog in the lake when they don't retrieve, she didn't like that either. And anyway, that, that literally, what, that happened where it got quiet like that. And needless to say, I did not get married to that fiance. It just went downhill from there. So what would you say your style of comedy is? I mean, just give us the, give us the lowdown on that. So most of what I do is just things that have happened like that instance. Do I take some liberties behind it? But I tell real life stories about things that have happened. And I start out with quicker stuff and eventually I build into longer and longer stories. And because I've been hunting for 40, upland hunting for 44 years, so many different things happen to you because I typically hunt between 20 and 60 days a year. Things just happen to you. So over those, over the course of all that time, I've taken all those stories that I would just tell to people. And I'm a storyteller. I start out pretty quick and I do a bunch of quick hit stuff. And then I move into a little longer story and a little longer story and a little longer story. And usually by the end, the last story is probably, I don't know, seven or eight minutes long. But by that time, they bought into it. So it's real stories about my life. That's what make, makes it easy, though. Like if you can bring up stories that have happened to you and things that have gone on. I mean, I'm in sales, so I try to use things that happen to me, too. And then persuade them to buy my product. <laughs> exactly. So you have, you well, haven't given us you haven't given us an upland story yet. Which one do we want to give you? I got one for you. So I'm hunting. I lived in Cheyenne for about ten years, and I'm. I'm about 50 miles north of town and I'm about a mile back into this big um, walking area. It's probably four or 5,000 acre walking area. And I'm a mile back and my short hair goes on point and there's a South wind blowing straight into me. Right. So I'm like, he's got something there. And I, I, I release my dogs. Right. So I reach down and I touch him on the rear. And as I touch him on the rear, he releases and he stops again. And I remember looking out and there's this little black and white skunk. Yeah. And the tail comes up. And from about six feet, this skunk sprays me. And that south wind blows it in me. And I don't know if you guys have ever been sprayed by a skunk, but when you've been sprayed by a skunk, things happen that you don't want to happen, right? You're 
your mucous membranes kick into overdrive. Eventually you feel the burning in your throat and the burning in your chest and you breathe in and then you start to dry heave and you throw up and you puke and puke until you dry heave. Well, somewhere in this process, I pulled the trigger and killed the skunk at about six feet because he was just standing there looking at me. He's dead, right? And I'm throwing up and I'm not doing good and I'm mad. So I, I take the other because I got a double trigger and I pulled the second trigger and I hit him in the rear end. Well, at six feet, the rear end, that little sack is not supposed to have anything in it, but it did because I vaporized his rear end and the same south wind blew the skunk spray into my face. So now I'm dry heaving more, right? It is horrible. I don't know what I'm going to do. So now I'm like, I got to walk a mile back to the truck. So I get out a bottle of water and I'm drinking the water, washing my eyes out, washing my dog's eyes out. And I get back to the truck. Well, I've hunted enough over the years that I've been sprayed by skunks five times. I know what happens when you get into your truck after you've been sprayed by a skunk. It reeks for weeks. So I have this bright idea. What I do is I decide that I will strip down to my tidy whities and put all my clothes in a bag, throw them in the back, and I'll put a blanket over my seat and I will drive home. And as I'm going to pull out, I look in the rear view mirror and this is what I see. I see a sight that I could not believe. I'm having a reaction and my face is completely blood red. There are no whites in my eyes, right? It's all blood. I have sacks underneath my eyes where the fluid is puddling and pooling. And every time I touch it, it runs down my face. I have snot coming out of my nose. I have snot coming out of my eyes. I'm drooling. And as I look at that picture, I'm like, you look like you're on drugs. This is not good. I just need to get home get some tomato juice, get in the shower, get some peroxide, get this stuff off of me. So I get in the truck and I drive home. I'm about 10 miles north of Cheyenne and I weave across the line. As I weave across the line, I pull back and there's a police officer, a deputy sheriff to be exact, that sees me weave across the line and he whips a Yui and I look down and I realize I'm in my tidy whities This is not going to be good. <laughs> I look in the rearview mirror and realize there's a, I look like I'm on drugs. This is not going to go good. So I pull over and he walks up and he says, sir, do you know you crossed the line? And as he looks in, I said, I sprayed by a skunk. Cause I couldn't talk cause I'd been sprayed by a skunk. I sprayed by a skunk. And he says, are you on drugs? And he pulls out his gun on me and points it at me. Get your hands out the window, get your hands out the window. And I put my hands out the window, but that same south wind, I had been sprayed at close range. So that skunk scrape drifted into his face and he starts puking and then he's dry <laughs> heaving. I said, I believe I'm drunk. And he can't understand me. I said, you want a bottle of water? And he's like, yes. And I hand him the water and he says, it looks like you peed yourself. And he says, okay, sir, you're having a bad day. 
and I'm having a bad day. And we're going to make a deal. You will never, ever, ever tell anyone about this, ever. And I will not write you a ticket for crossing the center line. I said, sure. And of course, I became a comedian. I've told this story like a thousand times. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. That is. (laughs) <laughs> that's a hell of a situation to be in <laughs> yes i've never been sprayed by a skunk and i haven't either i've never oh, even ran into it knock on wood doesn't happen this year i've it's hit him with my car before and that smelled bad enough so i can't imagine being sprayed twice oh it is not any fun man so, so you ever come back to iowa and hunt i i used to come back and hunt about 10 days every year but Starting probably close to 10 years ago, once the ethanol prices went up and they stripped everything out, um, my brother, my um, brother-in-law and my nephews are farming and they used to have, I don't know, close to 7,000 acres of land and they had all these waterways and they had, you know, and that's all gone. They've, oh, they've, they've, they've dug it all up and it, it's nothing against them. I mean, they're trying to make money and if you can make money doing it, so yeah. They what used to be a waterway that would be 40 yards wide is now cut down to a little narrow piece yep. because they can get that much more money out of it. So I understand you see that. that. You see that a lot more across the states anymore. It seems like they're trying to get those waterways as tight as they can, um, leaving virtually no cover for the birds. No. Yeah, that's a bummer. So. Are you just staying out in Wyoming then? You're, you said you hunt about 60 days a year. Is you just mainly hunting in Wyoming? You kind yeah, of travel around? Um, I don't, I really don't travel. And here's, here's why. So let's, have I hunted in other states? But like I said, where I go, I never have anybody around. So I start out with blue grouse and sharp tails. And I hunt those until sage grouse opens. And then I go hunt chuckers and huns after sage grouse and then i hunt all the way through the end of october into december and then there gets a point in time where here you can't either get to the mountains or get along the roads just closed because i mean we li- I, I live at five thousand feet right now and where i hunt a lot of places it is anywhere from the eight and eight and nine thousand feet so by <laughs> december it gets kind of hairy so yeah uh, what are you using to, to shoot all your birds with, Darren? I, it depends on the day. I, I have literally too many shotguns to count. Um, I got a little, I've got a cheap double barrel 20 that I use quite a bit. I've got, um, I switched to um, a little auto loader, 20 gauge. And a lot of that is, um, I got a Frankie autoloader because it's five pounds. And when you're at 9,000 feet, every extra pound that you have starts to add up. Oh, yeah. So, so I try to hunt. I, I wear light boots. I wear light pants. I wear light everything. I mean, as long as I can keep warm, but you just got to cut everything out that you can. So I like that little Frankie autoloader because it's, it doesn't weigh anything. And if somebody brings her nothing wrong with a nothing wrong with a, a 12 gauge and nothing wrong with even like a, a you know, like an a Remington um, 1100, 
but if you have to carry that at 9,000 feet and you got to climb the side of a mountain, it's no fun. How would, go ahead, Nick. How would someone from like Iowa that's never hunted out in Wyoming, 9,000 feet, I don't even know what our elevation is, to be honest. I'd have to look. It's obviously not high, but how would someone, if they're taking a trip out there, how would you recommend they prepare for it? Or what would you recommend if they're coming out there to hunt huns and all your grouse and whatnot? What would you recommend to prepare for that? Stairmaster. <laughs> Every day. I, um, so I was telling you that sage grouse, there are times that I literally can hunt. You may walk a mile and be done. But we've had days with sage grouse that you walk 12 miles. You yeah. know, and, and, and when you're hunt, specifically like with blue grouse or if you're hunting chuckers or huns, they're on the sides of mountains and literally the stairmaster is the way to go. Um, just, you just have to be in shape. Um, and then the other thing I tell everyone that comes out here is do not bring new boots ever. Don't ever bring new boots. Those, I don't, you buy your boots two months before you come out here and you wear them an hour a day because I don't know how many times I've told people you better bring them a pair of boots. They better be broke in because a lot of times by day two, if they're hunting with me, they're like, my feet are really sore. Did you bring it? Did you break in your boots? And they're like, no. And, and it never fits. It's a good tip. I actually did that this, this past year. Last year in South Dakota, I bought new boots. Wore them out there. And man, in days I could not wait to sit my ass down because my feet hurt so bad. Yeah. What kind of, what boots do you wear up in the mountains? As so I, I tried to wear as light of hiking boot as possible, all leather, because uh, I don't like stuff poking through them. So yeah. I try to find an all leather boot. And I literally, I don't have a specific brand. I'm just trying to find the lightest weight boot possible. And it's, um, I mean, I've, there's, I've had, it, I've had Keens, I've had Timberlines, I've had, I mean, it, I just, Every time I go and need a new pair of boots, I'm literally going whatever model they are looking at. I'm like feeling it for weight because yeah. it, it adds up in the end. So I'm not, I, I don't, you know, I'm not a red wing guy. I'm the lightest boot possible that I, that, and, and I, they, they wear out. They just do because you're, I'm picking the lightest thing possible. I don't expect them to make it two years. I expect them to be worn out, you know. Well, it sounds like you just need to do some walking barefoot on gravel and you don't need any boots. <laughs> it's like the old days. <laughs> no, it's and do you wear do you wear boots that are like that are high up to support ankles or do you wear lower just, boots? Just the so the like the light hikers, I don't I they don't go much past your ankle. So again, I it's a weight thing for me. Yeah. How much did you get? Um, yeah, I got the uh, the Iris Setter wing shooters, and they're not they're not light by any means, um, but they're super comfortable. And I've never really had a nice lightweight boot. I guess I either, actually, you know, I, <clears throat> around here there's not like at Shields and. Um, outdoor stores around me there's not really many options besides danners and 
well, Danners are the main ones that yeah, are in the stores around here. Yeah. Um, Rockies. Yeah. Yeah. So. So when you're planning for your hunts, Darren, what's, what's that look like? Um, do you literally just go in the field and follow your dog? Or do you uh, think, hey, you know, we want to get up to this ridge or we want to get here? Or, or, or what's your game plan? So I've been hunting here uh, since 1991 is when I, I got my um, – so it's been 30 years. So what has happened over 30 years is now it's to the point where I know – I, so I know on this day, on this weekend, where the blue grouse are going to be, right? I yeah. literally, there's, there's a spot that I hunt um, up in um, uh, Laramie Peak that I go blue grouse hunting. And I have shot, I, I, I walk maybe two miles when I go up there, right? But over, over 30 years of hunting up there, 90% of my grouse, my blue grouse have been shot in an area that's less than a city block big they're in the same spot every year 30 years do you keep a notebook or uh something of that nature to you know time year wind things of that nature i used to i just i just quit i used to what was funny is i used to walk more and more and in a lot of places that i hunt yep. um, and i walk and now i'm 50 some years old and now if i know that i've hunted let's say so where i used to go up and hunt blue grouse i might walk five miles now I, i'm not going to do over two if i can't find them in two and i literally drive from i have spots where i they may be 10 miles apart but i'll go and i'll hunt this spot and then i'll go drive to another spot and hunt this spot and they're they're all in one spot yep. you know and yep. and i know exactly what to look like look for over 30 years of doing this and it was funny i took a guy up once and i said um, there's a snowmobile trail marker up on this tree and i said to him i said when we get by that tree a grouse is going to fly out you know it doesn't always happen but this could happen and he walks up there and lo and behold out flies a blue grouse right in front of him and it's because i've been there so many times you know i, I don't know how many times it's happened where it that's the spot where they're at every year and the other thing i try to do is because if they have if they have broods so let's say it's a female and she's got six or eight young with her i always try to i'll never shoot the entire covey i'll always try to you know maybe take half of them and leave them that way i can come back year after year after year and they're going to be yep. in the same spot so yeah, it is crazy. Uh, I know Tyler and I have a few spots here in Iowa, too, where um, we know once you get around a certain point, like, all right, usually there's birds here. And again, like you said, not every time is there something there, but, you know, 80, 90 percent of the time you're, you're picking up a bird. It's uh, some hens or some roosters, even uh, some quail that for that matter. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Well, and um, sage grouse aren't like that because the, the area is so big and they move so much. So you're just letting the dogs run. But for like sharp tails, um, if you see the crest of a hill, you're going to find, I look for the crests and it doesn't have to be a big hill, but as long as there's a crest, there's good, that's where they're going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, 
and then the problem is trying to get to the edge of the hill before they fly away because they can be spooky because they they got sentries sitting out there looking the entire time when you're walking up on them. So, huh. oh, wait, are they the ones with the thing that sticks up out their head? No, no. Um, they've got a they've got a they got a little point on their tail. They've got a cute little tail that's different than every that that that's different. Um, they're pretty cool looking though. Yeah. So when you said sentries, you just mean in part of their flock is looking out. Yeah, they, they are. They're they're always looking around and trying to get up on them in a flock. If you get up, it, so if you get up on um, uh, like a you know a flock of them, if you can get in with males where they're singles or twos or threes, that's not so bad because you can usually get up on them. And uh, people always talk about pheasants running sharp tails can run unlike anything you've ever seen you can chase them things for a mile they just don't stop and because the area is so big you know it isn't like in iowa where you're you know there's going to be a road so you're going to flush them well there's no road for 10 miles so you can go <laughs> you just keep going and going and going and that. man that'd be some fun countryside to hunt i bet so be interesting it'd be fun to go out there someday so Darren, how do you, uh, before we hop off, how do people uh, book you for a show? So if they want to book me for a show, they can go to, um, they can go to uh, DarrenBulow.com. They can go there. They can go to my Facebook page, which is the hunting and fishing comedian, and they can message me there. Or if they, they I have a, um, my email, you can send it, send me an email to Darren Bulow um, at msn.com. And that's D-A-R-E-N-B-U-L-O-W at msn.com. So. Perfect. All right, Nick, you got. Yeah, no, we appreciate, uh, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your insight. Uh, more than that, we appreciate your, your jokes and uh, letting us in a little bit of your life and showing us uh, a comedian. Obviously I've never, ever, I guess, interviewed one before. So yeah. it was funny. Uh, I try to be funny myself. I couldn't do what you do, but <laughs> I, I do know that I do know if I go out bit. to Wyoming, I ain't gonna be using no no outhouses. I don't need none of that <laughs> stuff splashing up on me. Well, and if you if you guys ever if you ever want to hunt sage grouse, because that's a big thing to people, if if it's on your bucket list, it's come on out. Oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm sure. gonna be hunting them anyway. And they're uh, it's it, that's not to mean that you're not gonna have to work for them and but, That's but it, it is unlike anything you know when they're so big right i don't know if your dogs have ever run into turkeys and had them flush yeah this there's um, i mean they're they're quite a bit smaller than a turkey but i mean an eight pound bird when they come up it is unlike it is racket like you've never heard before how how fast do they fly they can go 35 or 40 miles an hour. They can go a lot faster than you think. Yeah. So they, they can fly as fast as a pheasant and they, there's nothing. And people always say, well, you can chase them down. Well, a lot of times they'll cruise for a mile. Yeah. I like and, the fact they're a bigger target. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. All right. Well, Darren, we appreciate it. Hopefully we can catch up for a hunt sometime. Out in Wyoming, yeah, it sounds like a blast. Um, again, thank you, and we appreciate you coming on the Flushman Dustin podcast. Yep, thank you guys. Thank you, sir. Yep. Bye. All right, see you.